domestic passports. The rules are very simple. To travel, you've got to be vaccinated. The new vaccine requirement to travel on planes and trains within Canada. Rising cases in the classroom. It's time to use whatever tools we can to stop that from happening. Why some say it's time BC added rapid testing to the curriculum. And the great parking debate. Will Vancouver's plan to address the climate emergency get kicked to the curb? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Canada's vaccination requirements are ramping up yet again today with the latest announcement from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. As of the end of this month, anyone traveling within Canada by plane or train must be fully vaccinated. Ted Trenecki has the details. Canada's biggest employer, the federal government, is laying down the law when it comes to employees and being fully vaccinated. Members of the public service who are not fully vaccinated or do not disclose their vaccination status by October 29th will be placed on administrative leave without pay. In addition, anyone wanting to travel within Canada using federally regulated transportation like airlines, rail or marine services all must be fully vaccinated, staff included, by the end of this month and almost no exceptions. Exemptions, whether they're medical exemptions or otherwise, will be exceedingly narrow. In BC, there'll be no all aboard for the unvaccinated, affecting travel on Via Rail or the Rocky Mountaineer, but luckily for it, the last train of the season pulls into Vancouver this week, and the next season doesn't start until April, but by then, it'll have to have a plan to comply. Via Rail's got 30 days. We reached out to Harbour Air, as all commercial aviation is regulated by Ottawa, and we did not hear back by deadline. And BC Ferries issued a statement encouraging all passengers and staff to get fully vaccinated, but even though it too is federally regulated, it believes it is exempt. So the new policy will not apply to BC Ferry passengers. Mandatory vaccine requirements announced by the provincial government for public servants will not apply to BC Ferries employees, as BC Ferries is a private company. But that remains to be seen. The BC Ferry and Marine Workers Union says it's studying the new regulations and will comment later. Meanwhile, the Public Servants Alliance of Canada appears ready to challenge the policy. Sending us a draft document 24 hours before the announcement is made? That's not meaningful consultation. But the Deputy Prime Minister says Canada cannot afford to have its economy held hostage by a relatively small minority. That is how we avoid further entirely preventable lockdowns. Ted Schernicke, Global News. Well, here's a look at today's numbers. We have 752 new cases and again, just under 6,000 active cases. 350 people are in hospital. 136 of those patients are in the ICU. Nine more people have died of complications from the virus. And on the vaccination front, 81.9% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Well, as workplaces prepare to welcome back employees, there's confusion over what is allowed and what isn't when it comes to vaccinations. Among the concerns, can you refuse to work alongside someone who is unvaccinated? Our Jordan Armstrong went looking for answers. A hot question with a hard-to-find answer. If your workplace doesn't have a vaccine mandate, 
Can you refuse to work alongside an unvaccinated colleague? It is an important worker safety issue, um, but for the technical advice on, on how that plays out within an individual workplace, I would refer people to, to WorkSafe BC. WorkSafe refused to make anyone available for an interview and referred us to the Labour Minister. The Labour Minister pointed us back to WorkSafe. The situation, you know, will be, you know, different from one to another. So they will be coming in if the worker and the employer is unable to resolve their situation. Given the lack of clear guidance from public officials, we sought the expertise of two lawyers. And even they don't agree. The answer is going to be no. You can't outright refuse to work with someone because they're unvaccinated. But what uh, employers are obligated to do is they have to make sure that they're taking reasonable safety precautions, right? So uh, masking, physical distancing. It's going to depend on the workplace, and, and I would say yes. The challenge is if you're in the workplace as a vaccinated person and you have someone in that workplace who is unvaccinated, there's a much greater risk of infection uh, to you as a vaccinated person. So McLean believes that under the Workers' Compensation Act and regulations, a vaccinated staffer may well have a right to refuse that work environment as unsafe. Something the lawyers do agree on is this. From a legal perspective, it would certainly be nice to have clear guidance. Ultimately, time may resolve this issue. With more and more public organizations implementing vaccine mandates, it's expected a lot more private ones will follow in the coming weeks. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The province is facing mounting pressure to bring rapid COVID-19 testing kits into B.C. schools. Ontario is now doing it, and it's not the only one to adopt a similar measure. And as Richard Zussman reports, the B.C. Teachers Federation believes B.C. is falling behind. Slow to react on rapid tests. Dr. Henry is uh, certainly reviewing uh, the use of, uh, of all of the different kinds of tests. Right now, British Columbia doesn't have widely accessible COVID rapid tests to be used for schools, but Ontario does. Parents can access those tests in areas where there's a high rate of COVID spread. The test user must be unvaccinated against COVID with no symptoms. They also can't be a high-risk contact of somebody with the virus. And if the rapid test is positive, the person then must go get a PCR test. BC teachers calling on this province to follow suit. We need all of it. We need transparency of data. We need a plan around rapid testing. You know, we need those safety measures that were in place last year to be in place this year because we're seeing more kids get sick with COVID. So if it's good enough right now for Ontario, why isn't it good enough right now for BC and Dr. Bonnie Henry? Dr. Henry is looking at that and will make decisions as, uh, as, as she uh, sees fit. The federal government has offered rapid tests to all provinces at no cost to the province. These could be used anywhere, including at schools. So far, Ontario has used 441 tests per 1,000 people in that province. Alberta, 230 per 1,000. Quebec is at just 28 tests per 1,000. And at the bottom, BC, 25 tests per 1,000 people. So there's lots of different ways that we can use rapid tests. I think people are concerned that they're not as accurate as PCR. And that's, that's true. Um, but they're also much faster and much more convenient to deploy. There are right now around 2 million tests sitting on a shelf the BC has access to, and it's unclear still why those are unacceptable for use in the BC school system. Instead, the province is watching a review of a test by Roche Biosensor that has still not been approved. And in that case, Canada could receive 
uh, amounts of tests in the millions, which would be helpful, I think, in the education system. The one take-home test right now is a gargle PCR test, but it's available in extremely limited numbers. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us live now with more on COVID in BC schools. And the topic of vaccine mm -hmm. mandates, Keith, was brought up during question period today. Yes, this issue won't go away. In fact, it's going to be hanging around for quite a while. So now a committee has been struck to study uh, how such a scheme could be implemented. But it appears right now, anyways, in the absence of a public health order, it would be district by district, a recipe for uh, potential disaster, according to liberal education critic uh, Jackie Taggart from Fraser Nicola, brought it up in the legislature today, an exchange between her and Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside. When it comes to vaccination of teachers and staff, the Premier's choosing to sidestep the issue and put it on to individual school boards, creating a potential patchwork of programs across the province. We do not have a public health order uh, that would allow a provincial approach. We, we have a, a situation where, as the member well knows, having, been a, having served as a school trustee, that, uh, that school boards are the employers of school staff. And so I convened a, a meeting of, uh, of all of our education partners yesterday to support the development of guidelines that, that will inform the decisions that boards will make when they are considering mandatory vaccination policies for their, for their staff. Mm. Well, we'll see where that one goes. All right, uh, you have more food for, uh, food for thought, Keith, uh, for those mm -hmm. people who may still be on the fence about getting their COVID shot. Yeah, more evidence of just what a real dangerous situation you face if you're not getting vaccinated. So the Center for Disease Control, the BC Center for Disease Control, every week releases a weekly data summary included in there the chance of what un unvaccinated people face when it comes to the key uh, health outcomes. Take a look at these numbers. Uh, you now would have a if you're unvaccinated, we're talking basically older people. This is age adjusted. It's not about kids. 11 times more likely to be infected. 58 times more likely to be hospitalized. 53 times more likely to die. Again, we're not talking about children for those bottom two categories. We don't have a lot of kids going in the hospital. We don't have kids dying from COVID-19, uh, but they are getting infected increasing rates. What's really troubling, that, that bottom figure, 53 times more likely to die, it was just four times more likely to die a month ago. So in the space of one month, unvaccinated older adults really face more than a 1,000% increase in chances of dying from COVID-19. If this statistic doesn't tell you to get vaccinated and convince you to get vaccinated, I don't know what will. Yeah, no kidding. That definitely brings it uh, into sharp focus. Thanks, Keith. Mm -hmm. sure does. A Vancouver police officer has been found guilty of sexual assault in an incident that happened more than two years ago in Whistler. Amadagahi has more on what led to the judge's decision and how the VPD is responding. Jagraj Roger Barar sat next to his wife the entire proceeding this afternoon, even as the court heard some disturbing details of what he has now been found guilty of. What do you have to say about that? He's got nothing to say, just stay away. Roger Barrar did not say a word Wednesday afternoon. Is there anything that you would like to say about the judge's decision? Anything to the victim. With his partner and legal team, he was in a rush to leave a North Vancouver courthouse, where moments before, the 55-year-old suspended Vancouver police officer was found guilty of sexual assault. The incident was first reported to Squamish RCMP on July 19, 2019, but happened days prior on July 15, at the conclusion of an alcohol-infused night out in Whistler. Both Barrar and the victim spent much of the night socializing with mutual colleagues, but had not personally met prior to that date. 
The victim told the court she had momentarily blacked out near the end of the night out and woke up to Barar performing a sexual act on her in a hotel room. She had told court that she demanded he stop before gathering her things and leaving. Barar was charged with one count of sexual assault in November of 2019. After hearing testimony from both sides during the trial, Judge Joanne Challenger gave the following reasons for her ultimate decision. The accused fabricated the key elements of his testimony which, if accepted, would support the complainant was conscious, she said. I find her to have been credible and reliable witness on the key events. I accept she was unconscious and at times semi-conscious and therefore could not give and did not consent. Since 2019, Barrar had been suspended by the Vancouver Police Department with pay. After the guilty verdict today, the VPD had this to say. We are shocked to learn the details in this case and we take these matters very seriously. While it would be inappropriate to comment on the court's decision, the facts in this case are deeply concerning and we respect the court's decision. She's literally uh, been in tears since she heard that it was guilty. Tears of joy, um, vindication. It takes a lot of bravery and courage and conviction and a lot of integrity to come forward, especially when we live in a culture where victims are often blamed and not believed. Barrar will now face a separate police conduct investigation before ultimately a sentencing hearing. Imad Agahi, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for your help after a man was randomly attacked in the West End. Police say it happened just after 5 in the morning on September 18th. The victim, a 52-year-old man, was walking to work near Davie and Howe Streets when a man suddenly punched him in the face. The victim was picked up by a taxi and taken to hospital where he had to undergo surgery for a fractured jaw. The suspect is described as 5 feet 10 inches tall with a husky build and broad shoulders. He was wearing a dark hoodie with a dark jacket, blue jeans and a dark mask. Police believe the assault was completely random. So we've been hearing over the past few months there have been um, these random stranger assaults. This is something that is is occurring to our city. We are very uh, alive to it as police officers. We know this is going on. We know we've seen this happen in the West End especially. But it does happen, uh, unfortunately, all over the city. So, of course, it's very concerning for us anytime this happens. We need people to call police, call police immediately. Police hope to speak to the taxi driver who drove the victim to hospital. As well, they want to hear from anyone who was in the area at the time and may have seen the attack. The Vancouver police say after a thorough investigation, there will be no criminal charges in an incident at a Yale Town wine store involving Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart. It happened late September when Kennedy Stewart went public claiming he'd been harassed while buying wine. Vancouver police have concluded their investigation, which involved a number of interviews and video of the incident. They have concluded that there is no basis for any type of criminal charge. There was a verbal altercation that was occurring in that store and the complainant uh, apparently did fear for uh, his personal safety and therefore requested police to attend. We attended, we conducted a thorough investigation. At the patrol level, we spoke to all of the parties who were still on scene and uh, were very forthcoming with, uh, with their versions of events. Um, we took audio statements from all the people involved, we spoke to witnesses, we spoke to staff, um, we were able to collect some, uh, some video of the incident, um, and we spent the past number of weeks reviewing that evidence to determine whether or not 
any criminal act did occur. At the conclusion of that investigation, we have determined that no offense occurred, no crime occurred. Global News reached out to Mayor Stewart for comment, and in a statement, he says simply he's grateful to the VPD for their efforts in this matter. Vancouver's plan to get rid of free parking hits a snag. After several speakers and hours of debate, why it's still dragging on at City Hall right now. That's next on the News Hour. Traveling on September 30th was a mistake. Truth and reconciliation. Justin Trudeau's apology for that trip to Tofino coming up on the News Hour. Also, the Turkish stray who takes the subway and how Boji got his name. First, though, Vancouver City Council spent a good part of today hearing from dozens of people who want their say on the city's controversial new parking program. There's no shortage of opinions on the plan, as you might imagine. Grace Key joins us now with more on the debate over parking permits uh, for the entire city and the pollution tax on most new vehicles. Grace? Well, right now, council is in their second round of questions for staff, and then they will debate, and a vote is expected by tonight. So earlier today, there were about 40 or so members of the public who did call in. Some raised concerns of cost, fairness, and whether this would even effectively reduce carbon emissions. Other felt, others felt it would, and it would help pay for green initiatives. Now, the overnight parking permit would be a $45 a year permit, $5 for low-income families and visitors pay $3 a night. It affects residential streets that are currently unregulated. The second part of this is a pollution charge attached to permits. Now, you don't pay for a car that you own now or EVs, hybrids, and some 2023 or newer family-friendly vehicles like a Ford Escape or Toyota RAV4. Most newer gas-powered sporty sedans, efficient small SUVs, $500 a year, and gas guzzlers, 1000 I think we're, we have a tough decision to make, but I think we have to consider all of the people that live in the city that were not able to sign up to speak today and how they really feel about this type of policy and how it will negatively impact them in terms of affordability. This plan also doesn't get at the vehicles that are driving into Vancouver that are also emitting. So when people are commuting in for work, they're coming in for sporting events, whatever it is that they're doing, they're coming in to shop. So it's really hitting, you know, emissions don't stop at an artificial boundary. Does they feel like they're being nickel and dimed. They're already paying taxes. And on top of this, if they do have a gas fuel car, they're paying at the pump. We have a carbon tax. And so they are actually already contributing to mitigating through that. And so I think we really need to listen to our residents, particularly when we had overwhelming 19,000 residents I give feedback in a survey. So the goal is to get people to buy more electric vehicles and help fund some of these uh, climate emergency uh, initiatives here. Now, the program is expected to net 40 to $68 million over four years, and some councillors are saying that the deciding vote could come down to the mayor. Back to you. All right, thanks for that, Grace Key at Vancouver City Hall. All right, with food prices rising along with inflation, a new survey suggests 40% of Canadians are increasingly seeking sales and deals. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, is here with more on the bargain hunt in the grocery aisle. And Thanks, Chris. Stats Canada estimates the Consumer Price Index for food has soared 2.7% in the past year. However, Dalhousie experts argue the inflation rate may be closer to 5%. The university recently polled more than 10,000 Canadians on what they're doing to cope with higher grocery bills. Meat, dairy products and fruits and vegetables are all more expensive due to weather patterns and logistical challenges because of the pandemic.
In the last six months, Stats Canada says grocery prices have gone up between 8 to 10 percent, and it's forcing consumers to change their food buying game. More shoppers are being lured by private labels or the cheaper house or no-name brands. In fact, 37.5 percent of Canadians polled say they're buying more private label products compared to last year. Oh, definitely. Yeah, 100%. I just noticed that with everything going up, it's just much easier to buy the cheaper, more affordable products. I'm just uh, trying to look at when there is discounts to buy a lot of this product. And uh, yeah, so this is the way. I have a big family, so we need to eat. They're looking uh, beyond national brands. Uh, And again, that's another indicator of of what's happening in in the marketplace. You can see that really Canadians are much more frugal and careful as they they grocery shop nowadays compared to, to last year. Consumers are also choosing more marked-down grocery items than they did last year. Almost 40% of Canadians surveyed are buying discount products with expiry or best-before dates within a few days of purchase, more often than in 2020. Nearly 27% of Canadians are buying items with the Enjoy Tonight label more often than last year. Almost half of Canadians surveyed say they are buying less meat now than they were six months ago, while two in five are scanning weekly grocery flyers for discounts or using coupons more often. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Anne. Up next, the hazards of life on the streets. Being homeless is not easy. It never has been, but it's getting even worse. Now it's dangerous. Another attack on a vulnerable victim in Nanaimo and what the mayor thinks is behind it. And the brutal truth about how COVID ran rampant through long-term care homes, all laid out in a new report. Traffic is steady in both directions this evening over at the Patello Bridge. The only real congestion is on the Columbia Street on-ramp, which is wrapped around underneath the bridge deck. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Ewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Homicide investigators are looking into a shooting in Surrey, a crime that follows a sadly familiar pattern. The victim gunned down in a residential neighborhood, a burned out vehicle found nearby. Andrea McPherson has the latest on what police say appears to be yet another gang hit. What we saw like uh, after a minute or two, my wife are going, was that shots and stuff? We're looking around, looking around. Then we saw half a dozen people come out over there. Fear and confusion for neighbors living at 122nd A Street and 80th Avenue in Surrey as they say six to seven shots rang out just before 10 p.m. Tuesday night. Jerry Tuca was on his computer when he says he heard what sounded like car doors open and close and he noticed a vehicle on the street. We saw a pickup truck parked out here with a canopy on it. It was all dark and then uh, we went back on the computer then we heard half a dozen shots. By the time we got from the back room out here, we saw the pickup truck take off. You can see the little track there on the grass. It took off, went the lane here, went, made a right-hand turn at the lane and was gone. Fire crews were called to a torched pickup truck nearby on 129A Street shortly after the incident. Police have not yet confirmed if the two are linked. RCMP do confirm a man was found suffering from gunshot wounds when they arrived. Attempts were made to revive him, but he was pronounced dead at the scene. The integrated homicide investigation team's been called in and says this case appears to be targeted and is likely tied to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. 
Officers were seen behind streams of yellow police tape working near a white tent beside a gray SUV where the victims believed to have been discovered. Dozens of evidence markers were spotted on either side, some even underneath the vehicle. Officers were also observed combing the scene, canvassing for clues and looking to seek out anyone with dash cam footage or additional information. Another neighbor we spoke with who didn't want to go on camera says this is not the first time police have been called out to the area. It's uncomfortable, of course, but no matter where you live, it happens. Others who call the neighborhood home say this will not change how they live their lives and they refuse to live in fear. Andrea McPherson, Global News. RCMP are investigating yet another unprovoked attack on a homeless person. Police say the man was targeted by a group in downtown Nanaimo and left with serious injuries. Kylie Stanton reports on what homeless advocates say needs to change. It happened again. Another unprovoked attack in the same city, eliciting the same reaction. Being homeless is not easy. It never has been, but it's getting even worse. Now it's dangerous. On Saturday night, Mounties were called to Museum Way in downtown Nanaimo after a homeless man was struck with a metal object, like a pipe or bat. RCMP say three men in dark clothing asked the 24-year-old a question moments before striking him, then quickly fled the scene in a black minivan. We're viewing this as a very cowardly attack on a defenseless person who has been left with serious injuries. But it's becoming a disturbing trend. Like a crumbling kind of a sound. Back in July, 45-year-old Charles Samuel Salter was pushing a shopping cart near Victoria Avenue and 102nd Street when witnesses say a small black car with several occupants approached. One of them got out, dousing him with pepper spray. Then the car accelerated, running Salter over. The mayor had this to say back then. Shocked, saddened, disgusted, horrified. But now can see where this is stemming from. There is a, a, a sense that the law isn't being obeyed, that people can use drugs openly. Uh, those kinds of activities have given license, I think, to a dark element in our society who think it's okay to go out and beat people up in public places. What's more concerning, so far no one has been held accountable for their actions. The investigation into Salter's attack is ongoing, but Mounties are at a standstill. And as for this most recent case, they're asking for the public's help. If they witness this, if they have dash cam footage in the area, or have other knowledge of this event, please contact the Nanaimo RCMP. The victim was taken to hospital with face and head trauma. But according to Fuller, he's just one of many. The ones that get reported on are the minority. He says something has to give. And while government can do their part to provide housing and the necessary supports, it can start with community. Somehow we have to get our compassion back. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, no freedom for a cold-blooded killer. She would be incredibly proud of us. We're a family who fights. What the family of one of his victims did to keep James Shortreed behind bars. And how a high number of breakthrough cases in long-term care adds to the argument for booster shots for staff. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions here at the Massey Tunnel. Just some minor congestion on the Steveston on and off ramps. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre.
temperatures. She was in Global One at the Massey Town Hall. Prime Minister is apologizing for skipping last week's Truth and Reconciliation Ceremony and instead vacationing with his family in Tofino. Trudeau was criticized after the First Nation community had invited him twice to Kamloops to mark the country's first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Leaders of Indigenous groups called it disrespectful to not attend events honoring survivors. The Prime Minister has yet to visit the burial site at the former residential school where as many as 215 unmarked graves were discovered earlier this year. Like I said, it was a mistake to travel on that day. Um, this is an important moment for Canada and for Canadians to reflect not just on the past but on the present. Um, I was uh, in error uh, to choose to travel on that day uh, and I apologize directly to Chief Casimir uh, for not having attended the uh, event that she invited me to, which is why I'm uh, looking forward to going to the community and sitting down with them in the coming weeks. A man who killed his newlywed wife back in 1997 has been denied parole. James Shortreed is serving a life sentence for the second-degree murder of Iris McNeil just one month after they got married. As Rumina Dea reports, her family is vowing to keep up their protest against Shortreed ever regaining his freedom. Relief. Crystal Brenzi relieved. Parole has been denied for convicted killer James Shortreed. It's been 24 years since Brenzi's aunt, Iris McNeil, was murdered. She would be incredibly proud of us. We're a family who fights, will stand up, and she would be like, you guys did it. Thank you. 31 days after McNeil and Short Reed exchanged vows. A savage discovery in the newlywed couple's Vancouver condo in the summer of 1997. One of our members uh, opened the freezer compartment to the condo fridge and found what appeared to be a body stuffed inside the freezer. 49-year-old McNeil, a customs officer, had been bludgeoned with a hammer and stabbed multiple times in her sleep. McNeil's family stunned when they heard for the first time Wednesday, Shortreed's motive was suicide. The motivation was to kill her, to force myself to kill myself out of guilt, said Shortreed. I do believe that he is at risk of reoffending. I do believe that he is a risk um, to other women. Um, it is in his history. A violent history which includes the attempted rape of a stranger and the rape of Shortreed's first wife, not once but twice. While the two parole board members believe Shortreed is making progress, they feel he lacks clear insight into why he killed McNeil, therefore ruling he currently poses an undue risk to society. It is her badge. This is a way to honour her and to remember her and to be proud of who she was. Proud and determined to do right by her aunt. The next possible hearing date for Shortreed, six months from now, for unescorted temporary absence. We will be attending every single hearing. No question. Romina Dea, Global News. Back to COVID for a moment in a BC care home calling on the province to expand the eligibility list for booster shots to include staff at care homes. 
On Tuesday, the province announced only residents of care homes would be allowed to get a third dose. Menno Place in Abbotsford is an assisted living facility recovering from a recent COVID-19 outbreak. Officials there say staff should be eligible too. No word from the province on if that list will be expanded. The BC Care Providers Association says no staff or residents at care homes across BC have received a third dose so far. Well, BC's Seniors Advocate has released the results of the first extensive review of COVID outbreaks in long-term care homes, which took the lives of 800 residents. As Aaron MacArthur reports, Isabel McKenzie says the pandemic has exposed serious weaknesses in the system that cares for our precious elders. COVID-19 continues to be the single biggest crisis the long-term health care sector has ever faced. A detailed review has shown where the system worked and where it failed the thousands of people who were infected. Seniors advocate Isabel McKenzie broke down the pandemic in minute detail. While 800 seniors died, the deaths were not evenly distributed. Out of 365 outbreaks reported, most were in Metro Vancouver. 72% were contained to four or fewer cases. And three quarters of all outbreaks had no fatalities at all. But where there were deaths, the situation was grim. The overall fatality rate in long-term care was 30%. It's been tremendous, the toll that it's taken, you know, the, the mental health and well-being of people that work in the sector. While the pandemic took its toll on morale, 76% of all first cases were reported from staff members. More than half were care aides. 22% of first cases came from residents, and just one outbreak was traced back to a visitor. The report making it clear a lack of paid sick time led to employees coming to work while ill. We need to expand paid sick leave. I think the evidence is pretty compelling. We need to, to, to examine what that needs to look like. The seniors advocate made seven recommendations. Along with increased paid sick leave, more staff need to be hired. Fewer services should be contracted out, and more registered nurses need to be on staff. We've been talking about this for years, the challenge of, of uh, health human resources. Uh, and of course, that all comes through a funding model that needs to be changed. The report also makes the case for more testing, elimination of shared rooms, and the requirement of mandatory vaccinations. Of the seven, paid sick leave, the number one issue government needs to be addressing. My colleague, Minister Baines, is uh, uh, helping to create a province-wide sick leave for employees starting January 1st. The B.C. government says it's in the process of acting on all the recommendations. Vaccination mandates for long-term care workers will be in effect as of October 12th. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, the commuting dog of Istanbul. Knows where to go, and he has a purpose. His adventures on the transit system and how the stray follows the rules better than some humans. And coming up in sports, the young cannot trying to show he deserves a spot on the roster. Time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that forecast. Turned out to be a pretty good day today, Christy. 
Sure did. I mean, it really depended on where you were. There were some downpours. Certainly those of you in the Tri-Cities saw it. We saw one here in North Van earlier today. Uh, here's a look at the radar imagery, and you can see how spotty it is. Now, the majority of the action is really south of the border. Some lightning strikes there as we head through the evening and overnight hours. We still do have a chance of showers, but certainly some bright spots, as Sophie was mentioning. This is the scene on Mount Seymour today. Yes, the first dusting of snowfall, enough to make a little mini snowman. Thanks to Brad for that one. Freezing levels dropped in so did the temperatures in many parts of the province, and that will be the case again tonight. So up through the BC Peace River, wind chills for you down to minus 8. And for Metro Vancouver, not as cold, but certainly you can see the change in temperature in many regions. And that means that if you're driving the Coquihalla tonight, you can expect snow on the summit. You can certainly see it here through the overnight period, maybe even a few flurries up towards Valemont, Revelstoke, and over towards Golden into tomorrow morning. Now for our region, we have a slight chance of showers tomorrow morning, but overall tomorrow looks to be a dry day. There is a system that's going to drive into the north coast region and that will bring cloud cover to our area later in the day tomorrow but overall it shouldn't be a, a fairly nice day. As that system drives down a little further it weakens as it does so what could have been a cloudy uh, showery kind of Friday it looks like we could be certainly seeing some cloud cover but mostly dry conditions except for those of you across Vancouver Island. So there's the rainfall for the north and central coast. Uh, temperature warming up nicely in the BC Peace River area with some sunshine, but you can see a few isolated flurries possible in Golden, Valmont in the morning changing to showers and a slight chance of showers out through the Fraser Valley and for Metro Vancouver tomorrow. Otherwise, two pretty nice days on the way before the showers return Saturday and Sunday and the temperatures are expected to drop. That's still a couple of days away. So we'll refine that. Here's tonight's Central Windows weather window from Popcom BC, which is, if you're wondering where Popcom is, it is um, just sort of uh, near Highway 1 just south of the Fraser from um, Agassiz. Great shot. Thank you to Lauren Mitchell for that one. Beautiful. Fall such a beautiful mm. time of the year. Thanks very much, Christy. All right, Squire is here now. What do you have for us, Squire? Well, the question is, has defenseman Jack Rathbone done enough yet to convince the Canucks to let him stay in Vancouver? That's their decision to make. I'm just kind of here to make it a hard one for him. And he has been making it hard. He hasn't looked uncomfortable in exhibition games this year, but is he a complete player yet? Enough for Travis Green. Also tonight. Knows where to go, and he has a purpose. The stray dog riding Turkey's subway system and how he's winning the hearts of commuters everywhere. Here is your Wines of British Columbia question of the day. Leading up to harvest, winemakers regularly taste and examine the grapes. What is the measurement of sugar called when lab testing grapes? A. Bricks B. Fructose C. Saccharum Stay tuned after the break for the answer. The answer to the wines of British Columbia question of the day is A. Bricks This is done by using two instruments a refractometer, and a hydrometer. I know I don't drink wine, but I guessed bricks. You know wine trivia. I know wine Sweet trivia. Sweet knowledge base. But I'm no uh, enophile. Is it an enophile? No is enophile. It is, yeah. yeah. That's right. You do know a thing or two, or at least I guess you're learning a thing or two, about picking the right partner, whether it's here at work, at home, or in hockey. Yes, that is true. Uh, because stay-at-home defenseman Travis Hamanick is actually staying at home until his personal matters are solved, 
The Canucks need to find someone who can hold the safety rope when Quinn Hughes rushes up the ice. And it looks like Tucker Poolman may be auditioning for that role, possibly playing with Hughes tomorrow against Edmonton. Now, Poolman had been paired up with Oliver ekman Larson when Hughes was still negotiating his contract, but last night we saw ekman Larson and Tyler Myers together. Poolman worked very well with ekman Larson, who is essentially the same kind of defenseman as Quinn Hughes. So, maybe Poolman and Hughes will be compatible as well. The Canucks have put forward Jonah Gajovic on waivers for the purpose of sending him down to Abbotsford. Gajovic wasn't bad in the preseason, but he needs to be more of a penalty kill guy to stay this year. He seems to be getting the reputation of being a minor leaguer first and just a fill-in NHL guy. He will be one of the main players in Abbotsford this year as he was in Utica the last three seasons. Uh, I thought he worked, worked hard on his skating last summer. I think he's still got to continue to work on that. Uh, much, I can say that about a bunch of guys. And uh, he's a great kid. I think he... Had a decent camp. We every decision is not it's not easy. The Canucks also sent forward Danila Klimovich down to uh, Abbotsford. He did have a groin injury in camp, but he should be good to go in Abbey. And defenseman Jack Rathbone is getting very close to avoiding a trip to Abbotsford and starting the season in Vancouver. Jack Rathbone is getting a good long look by the Vancouver Canucks. Rathbone has played in all five Canucks exhibition games as he tries to earn a full-time spot on the Canucks blue line. Jack Rathbone with a shot, he scores! Kind of just keep doing what I'm doing. I think it's, uh, I mean, you're, you're here for a reason. I think every, every preseason game, every chance I get here, I think just try and take advantage of it. Um, I think it's, it's been a lot of fun so far, and obviously those decisions are out of your hands at this point, so... Um, kind of just keep playing my game and we'll see how it all shakes out. Having it all shake out for the Canucks would be to have their fourth round draft pick become a solid third pairing defenseman this season, logging upwards of 15 minutes a night. It's a big ask of a rookie defenseman until you factor in Rathbone's puck moving skill set and on ice intelligence level. But like all young players, especially those gifted offensively, it's Rathbone's work away from the puck and how well he defends that'll determine his NHL status. Jack's a little bit more of a highlight reel kind of player, but there's also the other side of it with Jack that we're trying to fast track him. And, uh, you know, that'll come at the end of the day. It's probably going to be a harder, hard decision to make. We like him a lot. Um, but we're playing him a lot for a reason, and we'll see where it ends up. If Rathbone makes the Canucks, you can give a primary assist to assistant coach Nolan Baumgartner, who's been an ongoing defensive audiobook in the young defenseman's ear during games. That, video sessions, and constant conversations with his veteran teammates, Rathbone's cramming harder now than he did during any of his Harvard classes prior to joining the Canucks. Uh, I think I've put my best foot forward. I think I've uh, obviously made an effort. Uh, I think that, that was my mindset coming into camp. I think that's, honestly, that's everyone's mindset, so... It's, uh, it's been good. I think that's their decision to make. I'm just kind of here to make it a hard one for them. Jay Janowar, Global Sports. So last night, Canada's national women's hockey team took on the Cranbrook Bucks of the BCHL. Now, the night before, they lost to the Trail Smoke Eaters 5-1. Uh, Liam Hansen with a nice goal here. They lost 8-3 in this game, the women. But what they really wanted was these two BCHL teams to play them hard and to give them a good game. They're trying to warm up for the Olympics, and that's a nice goal by Jesse Eldridge on the breakaway at the, uh, in the final minute. So I think the uh, women got exactly what they wanted. They got two good games, and they performed well. 
Uh, BC Lions receiver Lucky Whitehead says the surgery he had on his broken hand today was successful. Should be back with the Leos in two to four weeks. There you go. All right, hope he has a speedy recovery. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a commuting canine lifting the spirits of subway passengers. Getting to work on public transportation can sometimes be a headache, but it's better when you can ride with a buddy. That's right. In one of Europe's largest cities, commuters say a stray canine companion is lifting everyone's spirits. It's the last call for the daily ferry in Istanbul, and this four-legged passenger won't miss the boat. After all, he has a busy schedule to keep. He knows where to go, and he has a purpose. For a couple of months now, the stray dog known as Boji has been a regular commuter on ferries, buses and subways in the Turkish capital, catching the attention of passengers and transport officials. So it was quite interesting and we have started to follow him. They fitted Boji with a tracking device that revealed he clocks up about 20 miles a day and loves the city subways. He favors the middle part of the car known as Boji in Turkish, which is how he got his name. This woman says, I saw him on the internet, so it's nice running into him. Boji's star power is soaring on social media, where fellow passengers post their favorite pics. This commuter says it's really nice to see stray animals among us like this, especially when they're so polite. You know, when the door is open, you have to let the people out first. He knows that rule very well. The pooch's popularity has earned him a free travel pass for life, along with a permanent place in the hearts of commuters. Tina Krause, CBS News. We need Boji on SkyTrain. <laughs> yes, we do. A lot more followers for him on Instagram, too, I'm sure. Okay, last word, Christy. Mm-hmm. Sure. So a slight chance of showers overnight. Really, I think we're headed towards a couple of nice days. Certainly cloud cover in the mix. And those of you in the Fraser Valley have a better chance of seeing a few lingering showers still tomorrow morning. But uh, lots to look forward to in the next couple of days. Sounds good. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.